0: issue for all women hello there and happy new year to you and welcome to episode 185 of the standard issue podcast it's hannah here obviously hoping you had a nice enough christmas because that's the very least you all deserve no rated or dated for you this week which means there's plenty of time to prepare for next week's if you're one of those people who watches along with us Next up is Jen's pick, the hand that rocks the cradle. Never seen it, so I can't tell you one way or the other whether it's going to be good. Also no Bush Telegraph this week because we wanted a few weeks off from doom scrolling. It's remarkable how much better you feel after that. Peggy, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. I have had a little look this morning though and there is some news to report. We've lost a couple of goodens since we last spoke all of whom require recognition but no introduction. Desmond Tutu, Janice Long and Betty White. Talking of Gooden's, here's the total opposite, Vladimir Putin, who is up to some bullshit and may invade Ukraine. More on that to come, I'm sure. Breaking news from America too, where two of the trials I was talking about in the Bush Telegraph back in December, those of Elizabeth Holmes and Ghislaine Maxwell, both ended with guilty verdicts. I suppose you could argue that they were good news stories, but I'm going to go one better with a genuine heart warmer. As you know, I am a huge Hamilton fan, but the production was facing a big problem recently, as if theatre needs any more problems. Simon Anthony Roden, currently playing Aaron Burr, is injured and the understudy was unable to step in. So what's to be done? Well, wait for it... In steps, Prince Among Men, friend of the show and former Burr, Giles Torreira, who will be back in the room where it happens every day except Thursdays from now until the end of January. What a great time to grab a ticket. So, all of that out of the way, what is actually coming up in this podcast? Mickey catches up with Karen Campbell, marketing consultant, small business enthusiast, owner of Hotsey Totsy, which is a supper club for women, and champion of female entrepreneurs hotsy totsy is an absolutely great name karen if you need anyone to answer the phone i'm available i will do it in the psychoville style of hello hotsy totsy anyway they're chatting about why you should start your own business the pandemic's silver lining for small business owners the joy of art deco which i'm absolutely here for and how finding your tribe is the key to success also, Jen, will be chatting to mountain leader and writer, Anna Fleming. What is a mountain leader? Well, I'm glad you asked. They are someone who leads groups in the mountains. Jen and Anna talk about her new book, Time on Rock, as well as the great outdoors, the many ways we can get into sport and why rock climbing isn't all fleeces and real ale, which, to be honest, was most of the reason I was interested. Anyway, tuck in and we'll be back with the usual next week.
1: Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by marketing consultant, founder of the excellent Hotsy Totsy and champion of female entrepreneurs, Karen Campbell. Karen, hello. Hiya, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. I should probably do the disclaimer that Karen is also one of my best mates and found me my husband. (laughs) The love is real.
2: Exactly. The invoices get coming in the post as well. God (laughs) love
1: you. So let's talk small businesses. And I think a lot of people Mm. might be thinking new year, new business. So why start your own business?
2: Starting your own business, oh my gosh, there's so many positives about it. And I think we can all look back on the the world that's been on fire for the last couple of years. But the things that have risen through those flames and those ashes have been small businesses. You know, what's been so fantastic at the moment is that people have stepped outside their front door and actually seen what's local to them and used them. And I think small businesses are finally... I mean, they've always been special. They've always been amazing. But they're just getting that recognition because people aren't jumping in their car and going to Sainsbury's because they couldn't. However, the local shop at the corner of the road was getting them flour. What was it with all the flour, by the way? That's another conversation. But, you know, they were getting them what they needed. They went above and beyond. They were opening those extra hours. Some of these businesses were acting as post offices. They were acting as people to go come and get aid and and medical stuff. It was absolutely phenomenal how these champions of community were just so amazing and just were this pivotal hub so i think what's happened in the last two years even though it's been very very challenging and you know and let's not lie some businesses have fallen along the wayside but people have really recognized the need for small businesses and the fact that you can be in charge of your own destiny as a small business owner you can have the flexibility that so many people crave and need as well
1: yeah definitely let's talk women because we are of course standard Mm. issue why should (laughs) women in particular be starting their own businesses
2: there are so many reasons some bad some good Mm. now let's start with the good women are traditionally multitaskers aren't we yeah we can spin the plates we can have 50 million tabs open in our brain at one time which (laughs) makes us very good at starting our own businesses because you have to be jack of all trades when you go in to start your own business you have to be the Producer, you have to be the marketer, you have to be the web designer, you have to be the accountant to start with normally because you haven't got the resource or the finances to put that in place. So it's a really wonderful skill set. And women are brave and they're bold and they want to try things. And I think it's so incredible that they do that and they go and get the help and the support that they need to do that. You know, there are some amazing. Networks and communities out there of fellow female entrepreneurs that will champion you and help you and and support you you know and share what you're doing and so there is so much there for women who want to start their businesses and so much support already in place. I work on a campaign called F Entrepreneur, which is all about supporting female entrepreneurs, and we talk a lot about them moving away from the one portfolio career years ago for example you maybe just had one job didn't mm-hmm. you and that's what you did and that was fabulous however now women have got several things and and we started this campaign called I also 3 years ago because we held this event and we had these incredible women around the table and the two words that came out the most were I also because they were saying I run my I don't know accountancy business but I also volunteer for charity oh and I also mentor 3 days a week and I also and we were like oh my gosh this is brilliant These women are wearing many hats, and it's not something to moan about, which the rhetoric was a little bit before that. It was like, oh God, I've got so much to do. This is something to be applauded and celebrated. And, you know, isn't it bloody brilliant that all these women are doing so many things and doing so really interconnecting, doing so swimmingly, and are loving it and are making real inroads and success, but doing it on their own terms, which I think is fucking amazing. Well, I'd swear. Of course. fucking amazing because they are not beholden by the you know the man the corporate the archaic nine to five Monday to Friday you know institutionalized work ethic driven down our throats all our working lives it's freedom and don't get me wrong owning your own business you've never worked so hard in your life there's no spinning on your chair days sadly as much as you'd like however it's yours and your passion and your drive is is there there's millions of positives to start your own business and if you are thinking about it bloody do it what's the worst that can happen that's all I always think if it doesn't work so what go get a, a job or do something else so that's the good stuff now the bad stuff is sadly as we've seen during the pandemic in the last two years childcare, when everything again was on fire falls 99% of the time to the women to mm-hmm. the woman yeah she's the one that's having to make allowances that's having to move her work Um, Around that's trying to get flexibility, that's having to take holidays in order to homeschool. You know, don't get me wrong, men were doing it as well, but predominantly it was the woman that took that role. So, from a needs must point of view, women need flexibility in their life. They need to be able to be a parent, be able to pick the kids up from school, to be able to work around that. So, there's been a lot of noise around that fact that people look to the woman to be that caregiver
1: and not just with kids either also with elderly parents and relatives absolutely
2: the responsibility it's almost ingrained in us that we just look to the woman in this relationship that oh well she'll clearly take the hit and go do that role or go go service that need i touched before about the the archaicness of the work ethic that we've been brought up with it has shone a light I think in the last couple of years, that the fact that flexible working isn't a dirty word, mm-hmm. it is something to be celebrated. Now, I've worked in big brands where, you know, if a woman has had to leave at four o'clock every day to go pick their kid up from nursery, there's eye rolls and there's tuts, and there's something, you know, there's a feeling, oh, she can't be committed to the role. Mm-hmm absolute bollocks let's be honest the people that I've seen working those flexible hours work harder than the people there full-time arguably because they are dedicated they know what they need to do and they make sure they work in their hours and get the job done but there was this huge preconception about it you know if people wanted to work flexibly the world didn't stop turning did it because we work from home you know people still got stuff done objectives were met companies still succeeded and people's energies are different some people work best in the morning some people work better in the evening you know to ram home the fact that you're only productive because you sat at a desk at 9am is a load of shit yeah isn't it Mm -hmm. it's like how archaic is it i just find it mind-blowing and to not trust people to be in charge of their own working destiny i find crazy
1: yeah there's also the financial aspects of starting your own business as well and i Mm. think Historically, women have been much more nervous or coy about asking for cash that is available for people who want to start their own businesses, right?
2: Absolutely. And the money story is a whole other topic, isn't it? That the male and female divide in terms of how we talk to ourselves about money is so disparate and so widely. Like men wouldn't think twice about getting a loan or asking for help, whereas we as women, can't possibly do that you know even like you say when the help is out there so that is another burden and another worry that yet they've still got to be financially bringing in the the bacon as it were and it is a risk let's be honest starting your own business and it you have to spend to to make in the beginning but what we're seeing like I mentioned before is the rise and you know the rising of these bold brave phenomenal women who are just thinking do you know what I've always had this little dream or this little idea in my head and I'm going to do it and I just think it's amazing and and that can come from a catalyst in their life it can come from a breakup it can come from their kids getting older perhaps and and moving on it can just come from a being ill sadly we've heard loads of small businesses that have started from somebody being very poorly and getting through to the other side and going do you know what I'm actually going to follow my dream we're Mm -hmm. only here once so that's really powerful and really phenomenal and what the difference is between men and women there is that women build each other up you're not ever on your own and that's what we always talk about in F Entrepreneur we all have wobbly days I mean I've said to my husband before I'm going to just go work in Sainsbury's on the till because I can't do this anymore do you know what I mean other supermarkets worse, but you know she's more Sainsbury's and more Tesco's actually let's be honest but there you go but (laughs) it's more of the fact that you know we all have those days where it's just like it's just too hard and it is too hard whereas I know I can dip into those networks there's someone there building me or someone there to just talk me down or just to say you know what it's fine we've all had those days or here's some solutions blah 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 you know and it's just so so powerful and important I just think it's wonderful small business owners are such a special breed and I just love them
1: I think of listeners might think what we've been talking about and what I'm about to say is crackers, actually. But the pandemic was not the death knell for new business startups. Let me chuck a few stats at like you to show that, listeners. In 2020, the number of new businesses in the UK increased by 14 percent despite the impact of the pandemic. And that figure means that the UK was outpacing global average. And data from HMRC also shows that in March 2021, more new businesses were created than in any other month since records began back in 1989. Now, with the huge caveat that the pandemic, which obviously is still ongoing, is shit, beyond shit for countless reasons. Can you tell us a bit why it has not been the worst news for startups, Karen?
2: So what we've seen is these amazing small businesses that were already phenomenal. It's that fight or flight, thing isn't it so the world just fell off a cliff everything fell off a cliff and they were like shit what do we do here we can either stop and freeze and just be like wait for it to blow over you know (laughs) that's not going to happen or we can go right what do we need to do to survive here and the biggest thing that we saw was this emergence of digital skills Mm -hmm. and this embrace of digital skills so much so that i've got a stat here actually that 74 percent of these business owners use social media more you know 43% were using e-commerce more so many businesses even like added another avenue to their business so for example we know a yoga teacher who suddenly could now teach internationally she's not limited to a studio that can fill 20 people Mm -hmm. she's teaching everybody all over the world and that's something that stays she's not going to get rid of that arm of her business we've seen other people that are now doing online deliveries there's a there's a a fantastic toy shop in Brighton called Wigwam Clothes who have an amazing physical store but during the pandemic they invested in their website and now their website is selling more than their store so for Christmas they have two stores now so isn't that brilliant and Mm -hmm. she's the first to say we'd never have done this without the kick up the arse that the pandemic was do you know what I mean it was something that was always in the plan but we would never have probably got to it as, as soon as we did so the emergence of digital skills and people that are embracing that side of their business and and seeing what they can do and seeing how their business can change and adapt to you know to the new world is just phenomenal there's a plumber that we know i mean what a legend this guy who's like 60 northerner from north yorkshire who now does plumbing consultations online and shows people how to do everything on zoom i mean what a cutie you know what i mean <laughs> so he doesn't physically have to come to your birth sink or whatever but he'll do it online with you and show you. So he's, he's not only doing the job, but he's, he's imparting his knowledge and his skills there as well. I think it's fantastic.
1: That is fantastic. Also, your use of the phrase burst sink means that you might, you might need his skills <laughs> at some <laughs> point. The sink's Amazing. exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned it a few times when you've been chatting about the success of small businesses that support is so key to that success. Mm. But I'm going to be honest with you, the word networking makes yeah. makes me feel a bit gippy yeah. and I know I'm not alone in that. There are genuinely fulfilling and enjoyable ways to network out there though, aren't there?
2: There are, but everybody's got a networking horror story, haven't they? I remember my first one I ever went to, I had this line of women with very big bosoms, I remember, who were just thrusting <laughs> business cards at me and I was a bit like, oh, I don't really know what's going on here, Do you know, and it was all very weird. And it was all very like formulaic and you had like a minute to talk about yourself. And I found it all very odd. Anyway. Speed dating. It was like shit speed dating. Yeah, but you didn't get any, any actually after. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry. Networking, I'm the same. I get a bit weird with it. However, there is some really brilliant ones out there. And there are some, you've got to find your sort of tribe. Now, I joined a tribe about five years ago called Sister Snog, which is a female business networking troupe but It's actually so much more than that, it's about connecting phenomenal women and it's about having lovely events and having you know that connection. It's almost secondary what they do, do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. about just a vibe and a connection, and that's really the key. And, and on F Entrepreneur, we have like a community, it's, it's online obviously a lot because people are everywhere, but my gosh, just having that, seeing the support that they give each other and the, the bigging up that they do. If somebody's like got a press coverage or somebody's been on something they're all like oh it's amazing well done so it is doing the research like with anything really isn't it it's like finding a good accountant you have to try a few networking things to see what's right for you and what you actually want out of it you know like I think we'll come on to it in a bit but I've started my own community called Hotsy Totsy, which is not just for business owners it's for incredible women but I did a survey to start with just to see what people wanted and everybody pretty much said they just want to meet incredible women they're not really bothered what they do. They just want to have a, a good time and have that connection. And at the end of the day, you still sort of... If I've met you, for example, at an event and we've had a cracking conversation or a really good time, but, oh, oh I remember Mickey works for Standard Issue, of course you'll be at the forefront of my mind when that's relevant because I've had a, a really good experience of you. Yeah,
1: yeah, Does that make sense? It's
2: not really about you thrusting a business card at me. And there's room for that. And people like that, that's fine. You crack on. But I feel that there's so much more that you can do and it's very interesting when you put men in the mix of networking I've found Mm -hmm. because you always get men in the minority as well because a lot of women do networking compared to men I feel is certain especially in certain creativity you know um, aspects and the men either like cock of the walk and then all the women change as well they all get like a bit you know round and it's like the energy completely changes it's very interesting from a social experiment to watch it so for me I prefer female only networking. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's worked wonders for me in terms of clients, in terms of friendships, in terms of collaborations. But the net with the word is icky, I totally agree. Maybe we maybe need to find a new one.
1: Okay, that's your that's your homework. Come up with a new word for networking. You're welcome, because I know you're not busy (laughs) enough running like four businesses. (laughs) So you mentioned there that you started a new business in the pandemic, which is Hotsy Totsy, and obviously it welcomes female business owners, but as you mentioned, that they're they're not the only women attending, are they? So tell us what it is and tell us why all these women are coming.
2: Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, I picked a cracking time to launch an (laughs) in-person. some events (laughs) tonight and no one can go out so that was that was that was well done me now basically i've always had this idea bring me now i'm a big fan of the art deco era and i love all that sort of thing and i think we live in the best city in the world london and why aren't we exploring it a bit more there's so many little nooks and crannies in this phenomenal city of ours to just have some incredible times and experiences in so i wanted to have physical in-person events in some incredible venues with some incredible food incredible drink incredible experiences and incredible women so the idea is to just invite women from all walks of life how i word it is if you're walking your own walk and you've got a pension for delightful decadence, you are welcome. You know, if you like the finer things in life, come along. So they can be business owners, they can work in corporates, they can do whatever. They've just got that vibe, you know, and they just want to hang out with like-minded women, have a great time, have a brilliant experience and just have fun. So that's what Hotsi Totsi is about. The idea is that we create bespoke money can't buy experiences. So they'll all have the Art Deco nod. They'll all have something that's a bit, special. For example, in January we're doing an evening with Gatsby at Beach Blanket Babylon in the ballroom in association with this company called Taste Film. Now, Taste Film do this thing where they play a film and they serve you the food and drink that's in the film so we're going to base that on The Great Gatsby Baz Luhrmann's one we're not going to play the because it's like two and a half hours long and I think even by that standard it's a bit punchy however we're going to have a nod to the film and lots of surprises so the idea is that people come and they have just incredible one-off experiences and so far everything crossed it's been really good and really successful so we're launching the membership on the 1st of january it's only 20 pounds a month or 220 pounds a year and for that people get these exclusive invites so if you're an incredible woman which let's be fair everyone listening to this is and you fancy a bit of fun in london town
1: come along look at you flirting with our listeners i love it love it so you've mentioned obviously there's online stuff and during the first lockdown a lawyer mate of mine attended a zoom networking event with 200 people and just thinking about it made me want to put my head in a bin in sympathy is there a productive <laughs> and enjoyable way to do online networking
2: well it depends on the crowd a bit doesn't it as well <laughs> I think two 200 people for anything like even in person is is full-on isn't it don't you think but I mean, we had to quite a lot with F Entrepreneur and Small Business Britain do online because we didn't have any, any choice. So we just brought some lols. So basically we had like a disco Joe doing a dance. We had a magician doing some stuff. We sent them booze which was a big thing so we sent (laughs) presents and made sure everybody was on the same track online has its place and it's brilliant for connecting especially you know like the sister snog model which i was saying earlier they have so many international members that it makes complete sense for that to be their main medium completely for me i just think we're on zoom so much with our work aren't Mm -hmm. we to do that on a social level and on a networking level is another ask isn't it it's got to be really worth it so you do have to make it really special so I mean if you've got the budget gifts are always a wonderful little thing to get and and what we find as well we always send gifts for our events is that it it gives people more of an incentive to join because they feel a bit guilty actually (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh they've they've sent me a drink I better go yeah but it's true it's true it's like oh shit I better go now because they sent me some booze and they'll know it's like we will know like a guest works really well as well you know like if you can get a name or get somebody to just come and do a few words it all depends on the crack doesn't it and all depends on the subject matter and all depends on who's going to be there and but 200 people sound shit
1: <laughs> so karen what would you say to a woman who has listened to this and thought do you know what i have had an idea that's been bubbling away for a while should i go for it
2: yes do it if the idea has been bubbling away for a while it's probably a good idea isn't it what the good thing to do is, I always think, is get like three of your best mates and go, is this shit or not? <laughs> what do you think? And someone that will tell you honestly,
1: mm-hmm.
2: get a bit of feedback and then you can tweak as well. And once it's out there, it's out there, isn't it? It's very exciting and you'll see it snowball and then you might have to do it. <gasps> and then you can call on people. And do you know what's really interesting? The minute you put the back signal out, it's interesting who steps up to help you. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting who comes out and says, oh, I know someone who can do that or I know someone that can do that. And suddenly you've got this crew and it's so powerful and so brilliant. And then this crew, once it's launched, are going to be your first customers or they're going to share it or they're going to pimp you out. It's amazing. It's a magical, magical journey. Obviously you won't sleep for a little bit because it's knackering, but we're all there for you
1: yeah and i love how positive you are and just chatting to you about this i don't have a business idea but i feel like i should have one uh and you would you would lift me up and help me make it happen so karen where can people find out more about the very many pies that you're fingering (laughs) wow well
2: That was many years ago, Mickey. Don't bring that up anymore. Hotsey Totsy, first of all, I'd love to pimp out if that's okay, just because I like to get more women to to get involved. So it's hotsey totsycouk and on Instagram, it's hotsey totsy us Give us a follow. I'd really appreciate that then get involved with the f entrepreneur campaign it's f and my marketing business is Karen Campbell marketingcom so yeah just find me on instagram and say hi and if you have got an idea and you're feeling a bit twitchy or if you're feeling a bit nervous drop us an email Do you know just we're there and just let us help you and if, you, if you're if you really struggling with certain aspects of it like you know God I'd, I want to do digital skills but I've got no idea where to start we've got so many resources for you you know that are free look at your local council look at your local library you know there are so many free resources we were in Brighton recently for Small Business Saturday and they've got this new initiative where you can go and research all your competitors or your potential customers all for free and you get access to all the database so you can actually do so much legwork beforehand to make sure you're in really good shape in terms of your market research
1: I've got one final question for you actually (laughs) you've had a career in bigging up other people in marketing with big brands and also working with small businesses and individuals have you found that bigging other people up has made it easier to big yourself up or do you still have that you know very British thing of oh god this is awkward
2: oh yeah I mean we all cringe I cringe every day but I think what I've realised since getting older, it's, it all comes out in the wash a bit. You know what I mean? If people support you and you support them, it, there's sort of this wonderful community and this wonderful vibe that you create, that people will do that for you. I think there's no better feeling than being able to help somebody else and to be able to connect someone to that, that person. It's a really valuable feeling and the people that do that and the people that, have that about them tend to do very well you know if you're very selfish in business especially as a small business owner you tend not to really get that far you could get very far commercially perhaps but not in terms of a community and a a support network Mm -hmm. people are good people are nice and and people genuinely want to see others do well
1: oh mate thank you for being on this podcast (laughs) and in my life a little ray of sunshine i appreciate it thank you so much for chatting with me
2: thank you for having me have a lovely day
3: I am joined by mountain leader, writer and author of the new book Time on Rock, Anna Fleming. Hello, Anna. That's quite a lot of strings to your bow. Yes,
4: I like to have a well-strung bow. (laughs) Who
3: (laughs) Who doesn't? I am going to start by asking you to tell us a little bit, please, about your new book. So Time on Rock
4: is a rock climbing journey. It's the story of my 20s, all about learning to climb on different types of rock around the UK. And each chapter really focuses on those different types of rock and explores the feel and the texture and the the nature and the quality of those rocks, as well as charting my journey from terrified novice, I think it's fair to say, to competent lead climber, taking on big mountain routes in, in big, beautiful places
3: you've said there that you are a lead climber and I know that you are one of only a very small number of female lead climbers in the UK but I'm interested to know a little bit more about what that actually means.
4: With rock climbing outdoors there are different ways of doing it and essentially my style of climbing is known as traditional climbing which means you have the most amount of gear so if you go ever go to a cliff face and you see lots of people with uh, jingly janglies hanging off their waist <laughs> and
3: rattling around I don't know if you've ever been around and seen the little, that the clip thingies
4: all all the metalware that hangs mm. and jingles and jangles off your waist um that's the equipment that you use to lead climb and so as you're going up a rock face you are as as you go as a leader you're protecting yourself as you go so you're clipping yourself into the rock face as you go attaching the rope to that to keep yourself secure so that if you were to happen to fall that piece will catch you and hold you in place so when you're lead climbing there's that bit more risk and that bit more strategy and technique and skill that needs to be in place to keep yourself safe
3: so in my mind i thought a lead climber was someone who led climbs (laughs) for other people
4: basically when you go out and climb you go generally go in in a two and one person will lead the route and the other person the second will go up afterwards and so the leader is the one at the front end what's what we call in climbing the sharp end of the rope and you can think of it as a, as a bit like that when i first started climbing i saw it as a bit like taking a tiger for a walk it seemed very frightening and unpredictable and you didn't know what was going to happen at that sharp end where Mm. you're you're root finding and you're finding your way and you're placing protection to look after yourself whereas if you're on second you've always got this top rope above you so if you were to fall off or get tired or have enough you can essentially just slump on the rope and the other person will catch you and keep keep you safe and then you can keep going
3: so why are there so few women doing that is it a There, are women, there
4: or... are women doing it, but it's, it's definitely, there are less women doing that leading. And it's because it's to do with head games. So when you're climbing, you know, it's, a, it's a very physical activity mm. and, and that's really fun is that joy of, of movement and that sensation of pulling your body up through the rock and doing all the problem solving and finding your way through this route. You know, it's a really magical problem solving process. Um, and there are a lot of elements to it in terms of like learning how to manage your body on the rock, how to find all those shapes and have the strength and, and the physical power to pull off those pieces that, you know, can feel so beautiful and satisfying. And so if you're lead climbing outdoors, it means there's there's an extra layer of, of things you need to consider. People have likened it to a game of chess. There's just that bit more strategy involved in terms of thinking about how you're moving on the rock, but also how far you are above your last piece of gear. So it's, it's much more of a game of strategy and skill and keeping your head in a good, calm, clear space, which is something that, you know, the climbers call that head game. And head game is something that I think women do find a little bit more challenging than men. I think it's partly to do with like women having a different relationship with fear and risk to men. So I think men are often taught to dissociate themselves from fear. You know, if they experience fear, that's something to kind of put away and not identify with too closely. Whereas I think women are trained more from quite a young age. Like if you feel frightened to identify with that fear and to question that fear and to see what it is and see what it's about. And then, you know, you're just spending so much more time inhabiting that sense of fear that then you know you can't make your way out of it and and continue doing the task that you should be doing
3: Mm. yeah that's interesting because I suppose the world is an inherently more dangerous place if you're a woman
4: yeah I think that is part of it as well it's just in general like women you know we we experience a lot more sense of risk in our day-to-day lives than many men do, and and therefore when we come to climbing and we're doing that slightly more stressful end of the activity, you know, we're already coming at it with a number of other stresses in life that perhaps, you know, our male partners don't have the same thing. But what I love about climbing is that it does give you that chance to experiment with risk and to play with risk. And because I just think that's something that's so important. I think we live in quite a risk averse society. And actually like learning to experiment and play with risk is so important and it can be so empowering to be pushing yourself to be you know moving out of your comfort zone and and with climbing you can you don't have to be a lead climber you know there are all kinds of different styles and and you know processes of climbing that you can be involved in and each of those you know you can have that experience of pushing yourself that little bit out of your comfort zone and testing things out and then returning to that comfort zone afterwards yeah it can be a really like exploratory and experimental and and playful space to be in and for me it's just been so rewarding to learn through climbing to live on wits and skill a bit more
3: as an adult you really do lose your sense of play and fun and the will to try new things obviously it's january and we make all sorts of resolutions and ideas about like we're going to take up exercise and try this and try that and you may not think you're a particularly sporty person but that might be just because at school you just did like netball and tennis and you didn't like them and actually there's all sorts of other things you can go and try that are completely different and there is bound to be something for you. I wondered, were you always a sort of sporty or physical kind of person before you took up climbing?
4: So I was a very sporty child. Up to the age of about 10 or 12, I was... Very sporty in school. I loved swimming. I loved running. I loved skipping. I loved football. Uh, Yeah, I loved running around and and playing and being very sporty. And then the teenage years happened. And as I think happens with so many girls... It just, it just dropped out of all of that activity mm-hmm. as a teenager. I think, you know, I felt really uncomfortable in my own skin. I felt really awkward and weird and I didn't want to sweat. And, you know, you suddenly had to shave your legs and, and all that kind of pressure around body image in the teenage years. I just lost all interest in sport and really didn't want to do it. I started climbing. I came to it when I was in university. And that was it was really the point where I returned to sport after probably a 10 year absence. And I went to uni in Liverpool and, you know, again, was feeling a bit of a fish out of water there. It was amazing to be in a big city and around all that. But I'm a country kid. Mm. And so I was feeling, you know, a little bit lonely and a bit lost in the city. And I joined a mountaineering club there. And some of those guys then took me out to this climbing wall inside an old church called Awesome Walls in Liverpool. I climbed once before and found it terrifying. Like getting to the top of the wall, I was just like, this is so frightening. Why would you want to be so high? My hands are really sweaty. My heart is racing. This is so frightening. But just going to the wall with those friends in Liverpool, yeah, something really switched then. And I was like, oh, actually... This strange activity is weirdly fun, like pulling my body up all these holes and figuring out the moves and and using this strength and this power that I didn't really know I had before. It was such a revelation to me. And it brought a real sense of balance and coordination that I didn't know that I had before. Like, you know, some women are really into their exercise classes and dance classes. God, if you would seen me in one of those, it would be so (laughs) humiliating. I just couldn't remember the moves or like the order and stuff. It was a nightmare. But with climbing, being on the wall, I suddenly found this coordination that I didn't know I had. And like to move in balance and in sequence on the walls, it was just magic. And that was something that was so lovely to write about that in this book that I've just written to go back to that start of my climbing journey and remember how that early experience in the indoors got me into this sport and got me into this way of moving. And that's partly why I've written it is, you know, climbing has brought me so much over the past 10, 12 years in terms of like its physical fitness and and strength, but it's also, you know, it's really sociable and it, it's a culture and you find yourself within a community and you can also get a great connection to nature through it. And so in writing this book, I just really wanted to encourage more women to have a go at it and to try it out and to to see past some of the initial fears and intimidation that you naturally would have and to see some of the joy that you get from climbing.
3: So have you had anyone that you've looked to specifically who sort of inspired you in your, your climbing journey?
4: So one of my big inspirations is a woman who was never actually a rock climber at all funny inspiration she's a writer called nan Shepherd who lived up in scotland and wrote a lot about being a hill walker and going into the Cairngorm mountains in this beautiful book called the living mountain and her approach to the mountains is so radically different from anything i'd read before so she talks about the mountain as this total environment that you go into for this zen buddhist experience of being in a place and immersing your body within that place and that for me was a really radical and transformative idea of of how you can be in the mountains and so in going out as a climber in the mountains i took her with me and she was Essentially, my spiritual guide, and I, I carried her her thoughts and her approach with me, and I've carried that over into my rock climbing so when I go out, I think of myself as being with Nan Shepherd and really embracing that Zen Buddhist approach to being in the mountains through rock climbing.
3: In the book, you write really beautifully about the natural world, and it's clearly a really big draw for you in, in terms of climbing. Is that one of the things that appealed to you from the outset about? about getting into climbing
4: i think actually my climbing did first start indoors and it Mm. was really the draw of the indoor climbing that had me but then the great thing with climbing is that it can be you know you can just leave it at the indoors and that can be a, a great entry point for so many people but it's also like you can have this really big journey with it and you can take your climbing to all kinds of different places so you could be an indoor climber and you could move into bouldering and get really into like these very short hard technical little routes or you could get into big indoor competitions or you could just go down with a group of mates and then outdoors you can get into there's a whole world of outdoor climbing you can get into and, and different places you can go to climb and and a different journey you can have through all of that so yes yeah, so the outdoors came later for me but it's been an amazing journey in terms of how how it does pull you outside and how it brings you to these amazing places that you would never know of so going to the island of kalymnos in greece that was an amazing experience to leave britain behind and go somewhere where it was so sunny and blue skies and just being surrounded by international climbers and to learn from climbers from all around the world was so exciting and and that was where I first got a sense of how powerful women climbers can be in their own right because I'd been used to climbing around men and learning from men that was the first time that I really saw some very strong women climbers and got some great inspiration from them
3: those are the physical ways to engage with nature like walking hiking cycling did any of those ever appeal to you
4: yeah I've always been a walker and I'm also a swimmer And know I was yeah brought up like going swimming in the sea all the time and in local rivers and lakes and so I've always loved that very immersive approach to being in the landscape and in the environment. But I wasn't really brought up going into the mountains and it was only really through climbing, rock climbing and being in a mountaineering club that I started getting into the mountains. And and at first I just saw the sport of it. And so I thought that rock climbing really was all about conquering and achievement and the sense of conquest, which comes through from the more macho mm. manly history of climbing. And it was only as I started climbing myself in the outdoors, I began to see that actually it produces a very different thing within the natural environment. And, and it isn't about conquest and it isn't about conquering things. But actually, when you're spending time on rock, you're so immersed and focused and concentrated and rooted in one spot in the environment that you see it in so much more detail anywhere else and and you see you can see really beautiful things happening I was climbing in Northern Ireland recently last summer and from the top of Fairhead which is this amazing cliff looks like right across the north coast from Northern Ireland away to Scotland so as you were climbing on the crag and stopping to belay which is when you're sitting on the rope and bringing your partner up after you I was looking out across the sea and you could see Right over to Scotland, which was stunning and just realizing how close these two countries are. And then suddenly this pod of 20 dolphins came through swimming around the base of the cliff. Wow. It was so magical just to be sitting there and soaking up this ambience of, of the rock and the place and the landscape. It, it's wonderful.
3: So as you say climbing has a bit of a macho sort of manly reputation you know sort of associated with fleeces and wiry dudes and since the inclusion of climbing in the Olympics as an Olympic sport uh, for the first time at the Tokyo Games the perception is changing a little bit. Have you seen that? Have you seen sort of an influx of female participants since then?
4: Yeah I mean it's it's part of a movement that's been happening over the last 10 years, actually. And again, this is why I came to write this book, was it's been amazing to see how much climbing has transformed over the past 10, 12 years. And and the Olympics is one moment that really highlights that. But essentially, when I first started, climbing really was wiry dudes, fleeces, ale drinkers, majority men. You know, you'd go to a climbing centre and it really would be mostly those ale drinking types and yourself there, and you know, so you just you just kind of put up with it. But then, it's been amazing to see how it changed over, like since about 2008 is when I first started, and it's it's like a sea change has happened. So now I'll go into climbing centres and bouldering walls, and sometimes I'll be in a room and I'll look around, and I'll just realise there's only one man in that room, and it's all women. And it's absolutely astonishing to see that change happen. It's so exciting and, and it's such a wonderful thing for this sport to, to be changing that way and to be becoming so much more diverse and a much more women-friendly space. It's fabulous. It's due in part to bouldering walls. Mm-hmm. They're a really great entry point for girls and women because in those you don't need a rope you don't need a harness, you don't need any of that technical stuff, you just turn up with a pair of shoes, maybe a bit of chalk to keep your hands from sweating, and you basically have a go at the problems, and then you just jump down from the top of the wall, which is never any higher than two metres, onto the safety mat below. So you can have a go, you get that sense of the fun of the problem solving and pulling yourself up the wall without all that risk and fear and technical skill you don't need to master any of that
3: i imagine january is the really the worst time in the world to start outdoor climbing but as you say you probably do a little bit of indoor climbing before you get to that point i imagine what's the best way for someone who has listened to this and been inspired by you and what's what's the best way to sort of get into climbing
4: I would start indoors, go bouldering, go to a climbing wall, have a go. There are loads of courses that you can do. Also, joining a mountaineering or climbing club is great because then you get a ready community of people who already know what they're doing and are very eager to take people out and show them the ropes and give them a go. And I would really encourage people to give the outdoors a go because that connection to nature brings that much deeper soul and life affirming hit with your climbing. Climbing is wonderful physical activity and sociability. And if you take it outdoors, you get even more.
3: Anna, your book Time on Rock is published on the 6th of January by Canongate. I assume it's available in all good bookstores and bad ones and online?
4: Yep it will be available in all of those and yeah it really captures that journey from, from novice to competent and shows you know how you can work around some of those fears, why you would go out climbing, why you would do this crazy thing that a lot of people think you're mental to do. It It reveals some of the joy that comes from that activity.
3: Where can we find you on Twitter to follow what you're up Uh, to? So I'm
4: on Twitter. It's at Anna M Fleming.
3: Is there anything else coming up for you? Have you got anything else on the horizon?
4: Yeah. Oh, I've got plenty of climbing aspirations. At the moment, I'm plotting maybe an escape to the Alps in the summer and spend a couple of months around Chamonix and get some good experience on the snow and icy peaks up there. And writing-wise, yeah, I've got some pots of future books and bits of articles to, to keep me going.
3: Anna, thank you so much for joining me to chat.
4: No problem. Thank you. Lovely to chat.
2: Standard issue
4: for all women.